Good morning. Today we are going to be continuing our series of songs to return to by looking at Psalm 128, which in my Bible is called Blessings for Those Who Fear God. So the title of this talk is God is Awesome, and we're going to be looking at what it means to fear God, what the right response is to how awesome he is. We're going to see that a right fear and understanding of how awesome, how breathtaking, how loving and how holy our God is banishes the fear that is so prevalent in our lives and in our culture. And how a deep, reverent fear of the Lord is so good for us, so wonderfully freeing and brings us many blessings. So I'm going to read this beautiful psalm and then I'm going to be asking three questions. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Why fear the Lord? And what impact does fearing the Lord have? Here's the psalm. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, This will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. The Bible has a lot to say about fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it says in Proverbs. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, it says in Isaiah. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid, it says in John's Gospel. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, it instructs us in Psalm 33. The Bible, it seems, has two things to say about fear rather confusingly. One is, don't be afraid, and the other is, do be afraid. Is the Bible contradicting itself? What sort of God demands to be feared? How is fearing him ever going to be a helpful, healthy thing, I hear you cry? And what is this fear of the Lord that I am talking about? So what does it mean to fear the Lord? Let me tell you about a time in my life when I was most afraid. I wasn't actually in any danger, far from it. I was about seven or eight, and I had had a terrible dream in the night. I dreamt that there was this great big dog next to my bed, and I woke up, and I was sure as sure that I could hear that dog breathing, and I felt sure that if I moved even a tiniest muscle, that dog would know I was there and would gobble me up. So I lay there as still as I could for what seemed like hours and hours. And at last, the sun started to come up and the room started to get a bit light. And I was brave enough to shout the one word that I knew would bring me hope. So I shouted, Daddy! And my dad came rushing. He was there in a few seconds. He's like, what's the matter, Becky? And I said, Dad, there's a great big dog in my room. It's been here all night and it's going to eat me up. And my dad looked under the bed and he looked in the wardrobe and he said, Becky, there's definitely no dog in here. And I said, Dad, you don't understand. I heard it breathing. You just can't see it. If you go out, it will gobble me up. 
And so my dad, I don't know where he got this idea at four o'clock in the morning. He went and got me a broom handle. And he said, Becky, if that dog comes back, you just bop him on the nose. And I felt so relieved. I thought, thank goodness, my dad believes me and he's given me the tools to get rid of that dog. And I fell asleep clutching my broom handle. Does God want to be feared like I feared that dog? Of course he doesn't. Does God want to comfort and calm our fears like my dad did? Absolutely. Christina Fox says this, context clearly matters when it comes to the word fear. When the Bible tells us not to fear something, it is referring to terror or panic. When it talks about having the fear of the Lord, it means having awe or reverence. I have great respect and love for my wonderful dad in that story. How I feel about him comes slightly closer to describing the fear of the Lord. But the fear of the Lord is something so beautiful, so complex, so otherworldly that it's not easy to define. I think often as Christians, we know we fear the Lord, but we aren't aware how deep and rich and life-giving that fear is. So we're going to go on a whistle-stop tour of seven things that fearing the Lord is. So hold on to your hats. Number one, to fear the Lord is to be in awe of him. Did you hear about that guy, those guys that went on a fishing trip once? They didn't have a huge boat. It was back in the day. And a massive storm blew up. These guys were seasoned fishermen, right? They fished for a living. But this storm was so violent that they were terrified. Happily for them, they had the Son of God asleep in the boat with them. And he stood up and told the wind and the waves to stop. And they did. The Bible says the disciples' response was to fear Jesus, to be in awe of him. Mark 4, 41. And they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They replaced their fear of the storm with a better fear of who Jesus was. We are meant to stand in awe of him. Number two, to fear the Lord is to hope in him. Psalm 147 verse 11, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Who do you hope in? Where have you placed your confidence? Not only does God delight in those who hope in him, but he promises those who hope in him will not be disappointed. They will not be put to shame. They will have their strength renewed. Number three, to fear the Lord is to love him and enjoy him. I've mentioned my dad already. My dad is one of the loveliest, kindest, gentlest men that ever graced this planet, and I love him with all my heart. Yet that love has a kind of fear element to it too. Because I love him so much, I want to honor him. I want to show him respect. I want to make him proud of me, even though I know he's already proud of me. Mike Reeves says this, true fear of God is true love for God defined. It is the right response to God's full-orbed revelation of himself in all his grace and glory. Isaiah prophesies this about Jesus in chapter 11, verse 3. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. His delight. If his delight was to be in fearing the Lord, so should ours. This is a fear that brings joy. This is something to be enjoyed. Mike Reeves again, our desire for God and delight in him are not intended to be lukewarm. As our love for God is a trembling, wonder-filled love, so our joy in God is at its purest, a trembling and wonder-filled, yes, fearful joy. Number four, to fear the Lord is to obey him. 
Psalm 112, verse 1. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Recently, I really let myself down. I judged someone for something really minor, someone who is really precious to me, and I let my tongue get away with things it shouldn't have. And I really felt God convict me of it big time. And as I was praying about it and saying sorry and asking Jesus just to teach me how to be different, I felt him lead me to Zephaniah 3 verse 9, which says, For I will then restore pure speech to the peoples, so that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with a single purpose. And I felt like God saying, I want you to take this seriously, Becky. You can't serve me on one hand and be judging people with the other. And my heart was broken. Why? Because I genuinely fear the Lord. I just want to honor him and I hadn't done that. I'd come up against his holiness and I'd realized again that I am so far from holy. Which leads me on to point number five. To fear the Lord is to be humble. Christina Fox says this, At the heart of godly fear is humility. A God-fearer knows she is dependent on God for all things. She knows her wayward heart and the depths of her depravity. She understands the gospel of grace and that she comes to God empty-handed. She doesn't trust in her own works or knowledge or anything inherent in her. Rather, she rests in the finished work of Christ for her salvation. Number six, to fear the Lord is to glimpse his holiness. Isaiah 6, verse 3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. We are meant to gaze in wonder, fear and joy as we glimpse the holiness of God. And that fills the earth. We are meant to see how other he is. We are meant to notice that we are nothing like this. We are meant to be awestruck by the fact that this holy God would place our sin upon his only son so that we can enter his presence, so that we can be called his children. We are meant to be wowed by the fact that he is holy, 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 and yet he loves us with a passion like no other. Finally, number seven, to fear the Lord is to have a new heart. How do you know if you are fearing the Lord like this? Mike Reeves says this, the fruit of the spirit is precisely the character which grows out of a God-fearing heart. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are the beautiful lived embodiment of the fear of the Lord. We can't manage any of those things on our own, can we? To fear the Lord is for him to give you a new heart. I've only scratched the surface here, but to fear the Lord is to hope in him. It's to obey him. It's to take delight in him. It's to enjoy him. It's to honor him. It's to allow him to rule and reign in our lives. It's to be in awe of him. It's to love him and to glimpse his holiness in relation to our weakness. Isn't it a beautiful thing? Aren't you glad you fear the Lord? Don't you want to go deeper in that fear? My second point, why fear the Lord? This beautiful psalm started by talking about a number of ways in which the Lord wants to bless those who fear him and then goes on to pray for those blessings to become a reality. It talks about the fear of the Lord bringing good fruit into your life, God blessing us in the places we work that we will reap what we have sown. 
God blessing us in our homes and our relationships with those closest to us. It prays that God will bless you with seeing Jerusalem or in our day, seeing his church flourish all the days of our lives. I want to see that, don't you? And lastly, that we will live to see our children's children, that we will have a good long life. Many blessings crammed into one psalm, but the Bible is actually full of blessings attached to this fearing of God. In fact, nearly all of the psalms we've been looking at over the past few weeks are promises God makes for those who fear him. We've had the God who delivers, the God who forgives, the God who restores, the God who brings peace. All of this is for those who fear the Lord. They are all rooted in the fear of him. It's not that God withholds things from those who don't fear him. It's more akin to standing under an umbrella. If you choose to stand underneath it, you choose to protect yourself from the rain. In the same way, if we choose to fear God, we choose to come under his protection, under his goodness, under his blessing. Not through anything we have done, of course, but because of what Christ has done for us. My granny is 94 and she has feared the Lord her whole life. She hasn't always had an easy life, far from it. But you can see this thread of God's blessing weaved throughout her history. She's lived to see her children's children's children. Even now, at the end of her days, she treasures God's word more than anything. I write to her now and then, and she always says to me, Becky, I don't know why people bother to send me letters and cards if they don't include some scripture in there to help me. So I always make sure to do that. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. Let's not be tempted to sugarcoat this psalm, though. The writers of this psalm and the people he wrote it for, the Israelites, knew much hardship. They knew that not fearing God, that repeatedly turning away from him, had resulted in God's people going into exile. They knew that life wasn't always straightforward and pain-free, yet they also knew the deeper truth of this psalm too. And they declared that truth as they journeyed up to the temple in Jerusalem. What about those of us who have faithfully feared the Lord, who have walked in his ways and yet are not experiencing these blessings? Maybe there are some of you who have listened to this psalm talking about fruitful wives and a table full of children to be proud of, and you're thinking, where's my spouse? Where are my kids? Where's God in the midst of my pain? Where's my health? I don't see any of these blessings. Maybe you're struggling with infertility. Maybe your spouse is terribly ill. Maybe you're single and feel so lonely. Maybe you're struggling financially. Where's God in my life, in my situation? And that is such a painful place to be in, isn't it? And the reality is there are no quick, easy answers, but I do know this. I know that if you can walk through these painful times and manage to say, even through gritted teeth, what it says in Habakkuk 3.17, then you will truly be fearing the Lord and offering him something so beautiful. This is what it says. Though the fig tree does not bud, though there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. There was a guy in the Bible called Job who feared the Lord so well that he was called blameless and upright, and yet he experienced the worst suffering imaginable. 
Through it all, he refuses to disown God. Yes, he's very real with God, throwing his anguish at him, but he trusts God's goodness and sovereignty throughout. And in the end, God reveals himself so powerfully to Job and makes his life fruitful again. Ali Claxton says this, God didn't erase Job's painful memories. He didn't turn back the clock to the way things were. What he did instead was even more glorious. He redeemed all that Job had endured on a canvas of suffering. God painted a radiant picture of grace and redemption. I don't know why God is allowing you to suffer, but I do know that he is with you in it. He promises to help you endure it and he will bring you out the other side into fruitfulness again. He is painting a beautiful picture of grace and redemption in your life, even though it might not seem that way. If we look at this psalm and think that the best blessings that come from fearing the Lord are tangible, then we have missed the point, I think. Rebecca Fares says this, but the glory of God's blessing is not circumstantial at all. The blessing is intimacy with God himself. The blessing is intimacy with God himself. That's what Job found. That's what we can find in the midst of our suffering. It's not about how many kids we've had or how fruitful our wife happens to be. It's standing in front of a holy God, knowing that he is also your father, seeing that we can be fully known and fully loved right where we are. It's intimacy with God himself. That intimacy is only possible because of Jesus, isn't it? He is the ultimate God-fearer. The Bible says even though he was fully God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Yet it was him who made our fear of God possible because of his death and resurrection, because he took all of our sin and shame, all of our turning away from God upon himself. We can be free to fear the Lord. We can be free to walk in intimacy with him. Thank you, Jesus. My third and final point, what impact does fearing the Lord have? I was speaking to a head of year at a local secondary school earlier in the year, and she was nearly in tears telling me about the pandemic of anxiety that is rife in schools and how she doesn't have anywhere near the resources to deal with it. The British philosopher and ardent atheist Bertrand Russell said this in a speech entitled Why I'm Not a Christian nearly a hundred years ago. Religion is based, I think, primarily and mainly upon fear. Science can help us get over this craven fear in which mankind has lived for so many generations. Science can teach us no longer to look around for imaginary supports, no longer to invent allies in the sky, but rather to look to our own efforts below, here below, to make this world a fit place to live in. Except, of course, that the last hundred years have shown us that fear has only grown and grown in our culture. The humanist professor Frank Ferretti says this, why Americans fear more when they have far less to fear than in other moments in the past is a question that puzzles numerous scholars. It is moral confusion in society that has led to an inability to deal with fear, to arise in anxiety. Blessed are all who fear the Lord who walk in obedience to him, you will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. We live in a society that no longer fears God and we are reaping what we 
have sown. Fear is a form of worship when you think about it, isn't it? What we fear controls us. What we fear, we obey. What we fear, we change our behavior for. If we don't fear God, who are we fearing? Who are we obeying? If you've ever held a newborn baby, you know they are inherently trusting. They don't worry about anything. But then as they get older, there is a sort of awakening. They become aware that things can hurt them, that some things are scary. But they have this self-awareness without the knowledge of how big and capable their parents are. And all sorts of fears come in. My four-year-old is utterly petrified of the rain. No matter how much I tell him that it won't hurt him, that he will be okay. And we're just the same with God, aren't we? Like us eating that apple in the Garden of Eden, we suddenly became aware of fear. We understood there is much to be afraid of. We lost our innocence, but we didn't understand how great our God is. We are spiritual toddlers. Learning to fear the Lord is learning to see how big and capable our God is. Spurgeon says this, he who fears God has nothing else to fear. That's why the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding who God really is, how magnificent and holy and capable and in control he is, and how we can rest in him in every area of our lives. And that knowledge, that fear will banish all other fears if we let it. The fear that entered our lives in the Garden of Eden is being undone through fearing the Lord. That's the impact our fearing of God has. The fear of the Lord saves you from all other fears, doesn't it? Think about the prostitute Rahab. She was living in Jericho when she heard of Joshua and the Israelites advancing to storm her city. When she heard rumors of all they were and all they had done and the God who was with them and fought for them, she didn't fear the Israelites, which would have been most people's first response. She feared God. And that fear saved her and her whole family, didn't it? If you know the story, she hides the spies when they come up from Joshua's camp and in return, they save her when they destroy the city. Her fear of the Lord meant she not only was not only saved, but added to the family of Israelites and ended up in the lineage of Christ. She didn't fear the Israelites, she feared God. And that's what we need to do. That's what our society needs. The greatest impact of learning to fear the Lord for the original singers of this psalm, though, was after the exile. Jerusalem was restored to them. The temple was rebuilt. They lived to see it flourish. Ezra 9.9, for we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. The greatest impact of fearing the Lord we long to see in our day is that of the global church flourishing, being rebuilt, being revived, being made into all it was meant to be. I long to see that, don't you? We have been given such an amazing opportunity over the last 18 months to step back and reassess our lives. And if that hasn't made us think we want more of God in our lives and in the lives of those around us, then I want to say we've got something wrong. If we don't have a renewed passion to see his church being built, 
to see the church becoming the beautiful bride of Christ, overflowing with the Holy Spirit and reaching those who don't yet know Jesus, then we are looking in the wrong place for our hopes and dreams. If we aren't deeply dissatisfied with run-of-the-mill religion, then we need to cry out to God to reveal to us his awesome majesty. In short, we need to know the fear of the Lord. I believe God is bringing his church into a season of fruitfulness, into a season of rising up, into a season of crying out to him, seeing again this great God and of taking our place in advancing his kingdom on the earth. Lastly, maybe you are watching this morning and you have many fears, but the fear of the Lord isn't one of them. Maybe you're wondering, how do I take this first step in fearing the Lord? The first step is to do what I did in that bedroom when I was seven. It's to shout, Daddy! Acknowledging that you need God's help. It's to ask him to forgive you for the ways in which you've tried to live apart from him. It's to ask him to come and live within you. That's all it takes. The Bible says he's waiting at the door of your heart, knocking and knocking. Will today be the day you open the door and invite him in? So in conclusion, to answer the questions I posed at the beginning, what does it look like to fear the Lord? Fearing the Lord looks like my granny, still clinging on to the promises of Scripture in her last days. It's the couple suffering through infertility, yet still crying out, though the fields bear no fruit, yet I will rejoice in my God. It's the prostitute Rahab, broken and abused, throwing herself on the God whose fame she's heard of. It's the disciples out fishing in awe, not of the storm, but of the one who calms the storm. It's Job, losing everything, yet refusing to blame God. It's Jesus himself, fully man and fully God, yet not considering equality with God something to be grasped, but making himself nothing, hanging on a cross so that you and I could know the awesome wonder of calling God our Father. It's you and it's me, caring more about what God thinks than what the world thinks. Is there blessing for all of this? Is there grace and mercy and kindness? Yes, the deepest, richest blessing you can imagine. It's God himself, the bright and morning star. It's him dwelling within you, causing your heart to overflow with joy and hope and fruitfulness. What kind of God demands to be feared? The kind of God who loves us beyond measure who wants us to be free from all our unhealthy fear and instead released into this joy-filled, hope-filled, awe-filled fear. That's the impact of fearing the Lord. Don't you want to fear him more? Don't you want to see your friends and neighbours released into this fear too? Don't you want to see God's church flourish and grow in our day? Let's be a people who pursue this fear of the Lord, who pursue righteousness and intimacy with him above everything else. Let's be a people whose lives shout loud that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. 
we thank you that you, your son has opened up the way for us to fear you, for us to catch a glimpse of who you are. And God, we love what we see, but we know we've only scratched the surface of who you are. We've only scratched the surface of how awesome and wonderful and mighty and majestic you are. And we say, God, we want to know more. In our day, we want to know more. We want to be a people who fear you so well. We want to be a people that see change in our culture and in our church. God, we want to be a people that see your church flourish in our day, that see the Holy Spirit poured out on the church and overflowing to the streets and towns to our friends and our neighbours. Lord God, more than anything, we want to be a people whose lives shout loud that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen.